What up with it? She got Craig back with another five of them things, another five piece for that head top, as usual. Slightly different this week, though. Garrett, Jamie, and myself are giving you guys our individual top five candidates for the vacant Chargers head coaching position. And as I'm sure we'll have some similarities, there'll probably be some differences here and there as well. And you guys may not all agree with my list, but that's what we're here for. A little bit of healthy discourse, nothing wrong with that. So without further ado, let's get into it. You guys know my stance on the prospects of another first-year head coach for this team. I want absolutely nothing to do with it. But in reality, there are a few guys out there that in a break glass in case of emergency situation, I could find a way to cope with. And that's why you're going to see a few on this list. Now, there are some qualifiers and some reasons as to why they're on this thing at all. And we'll talk about that as we move through them. But you got to give respect where it's due. And that's why you're going to hear some of the names that you will. So let's start at the back end here. Number five, Bobby Slowick, current offensive coordinator of the surging Houston Texans. Now, this cat's only 38 years old. So another one of these young uh, super minds as far as the offensive side of the ball is concerned. What I like about him, though, one of the things is that he started off on the defensive side of the ball uh, in 2011. His first gig in the NFL was as a defensive assistant. He parlayed that into an opportunity with Kyle Shanahan when he took over in San Fran, also on the defensive side of the ball as a quality control coach. Now, I think it really benefits offensive coordinators to have intimate understanding of the other side of the ball. I mean, it helps them not only as play callers, but understanding personnel packages and uh, certain circumstances throughout the game, making decisions in key crucial moments. And Sloak has shown the ability to be a very good play caller and understanding what defenses are trying to do against them. But he's also really good at putting the pressure on them and not necessarily being reactive. And I think that comes directly from his time being spent with the Niners. He was one of uh, Kyle Shanahan's, again, first hires when he took over at the Niners, which says a lot because it means Kyle saw something in him and helped to bring him along. So going from the defensive side of the ball, he then moved into an offensive assistant role, then the offensive pass game specialist, and finally in 2022 as offensive passing game coordinator. Now we're talking about a guy who uh, helped make Mr. Irrelevant of 2022 who he is now in Brock Purdy. Now that system, it really helps quarterbacks play free and easy. I don't want to take anything away from Slowick because at the end of the day, they found a talent in Purdy that they didn't have to spend much of any capital on and help to develop him. And learning in a scheme like that has gone a long way for him. Look at the Houston Texans now. Uh, at this point, Slowick has them seventh in passing yards with the rookie QB, albeit he's going to be the offensive rookie of the year and CJ Stroud. But I mean, you got to love that this guy has been able to take what he learned in San Francisco, moved over to Houston with D'Amico Ryans, and implement that onto a team that was 3-13 and last year and looked completely destitute. Now they're playing in a divisional round of the playoffs, and we're talking about a high-flying offense, one that doesn't necessarily have that great of a running game, which we know is a staple of almost any Shanahan system, 
but he's been able to work around it and he's got that kid playing fearlessly so take from that what you will uh again one of the reasons why i would be okay with him and i'm saying that using that word okay lightly because like i said before not really what i want coming from an organization like the niners transitioning over to the houston texans and bringing that success along i think says a lot about him coming up in that system and understanding what it takes to build a roster uh what effective offense means having an emphasis on the running game at least trying to make the make it respectable to help your uh, your quarterback out and making the game easy for him is something that would definitely hurt, help herbert out now that's the good stuff the flip side to it is again he's a young dude so that means he's going to have to come in and not only establish a, a team culture, but build an identity for himself. And that's not always easy for someone to do if you don't have very much cachet. And speaking to that, another negative is that you find yourself in a similar position as before with some of the other first year guys getting puppeteered by one John Spanos, who likes to take credit for everything positive that goes on. And probably meddles a little bit. And if you have someone who can't really come in and drop his you-know-what's on the table and say, this is my team, I'm going to run it, then probably end up falling victim to what you have here in recent years past. So again, respect to him. Clearly, he made the list, but he is at number five. And, you know, definitely not one of my top options, but something I could stomach if they did decide to go that way. The name that comes in at number four on the list is one that you're probably familiar with as he's been around for quite some time, a little over 34 years, actually. Mr. Todd Munkin, who's seen it all and been through it all, essentially, on the offensive side of the ball. And from the college ranks to the NFL, as I mentioned before, we're talking about a guy who's worked under legendary names like Lou Holtz and worked alongside all the way up to the newer big dogs in the college game like Kirby Smart over at Georgia. Um, he has experience with coaching wide receivers, running backs, even DBs, um, and as a passing game coordinator and offensive coordinator, as you are familiar with right now, because he's currently uh, the OC of the Baltimore Ravens. So one of the reasons why Munkin has always stood out to me, in particular being a Louisiana guy, as I watched him as he was the OC in 05 and 06 of the LSU Tigers, that team had Jamarcus Russell at quarterback, believe it or not. Um, Joseph Adai was the featured running back. Uh, the infamous Craig Buster Davis, Chargers fans. You are very familiar with that name. Um, and also Dwayne Bow, who was the Kansas City Chiefs for a while. Uh, he was also with Georgia for their back-to-back -back 90s in 21 and 22 as the OC there. And his singular head coaching stint in at either level was uh, as the head coach at Southern Miss from 2013 to 2015. So a little bit of a red flag there, but we'll get to that in a bit. So right now, in his current stint in the NFL, he, as mentioned previously, is the OC of the Baltimore Ravens, who boasts, we know, first and foremost, a very powerful downhill running game that helps to protect Lamar Jackson, but also makes him that much more lethal because defenses have to account for his legs and what he can do in the open field and escape in the pocket. But the thing that I like that Munkin's done with Jackson is you don't see as many called QB runs. He's done a great job at keeping Lamar fresh and healthy. And they call his number every once in a while. 
uh, to keep defenses honest and on their heels. But Lamar's become a much more efficient passer under Munkin. And right now we're talking about a team that's in the divisional round of the playoffs and probably a favorite to be in the Super Bowl. Munkin's offense has done wonders for Lamar. Again, not just health-wise, but you have to respect him as a passer now. Um, if that wasn't something that you were doing before, because he was elevating. I mean, Lamar is already a one-time NFL MVP. He looks to be well on his way to another. But his you know, ability as a passer has gotten leaps and bounds beyond where it had been previously. Uh, he's got a really quick release, and Munkin takes advantage of it. When we're talking about working to every level of the defense and utilizing all their weapons, um, there isn't a ton of work for backs out of the backfield in the passing game. They utilize more of their tight ends and those outside weapons, but Lamar gets to tear up the middle of the fields, especially up the seams with like guys like Mark Andrews, and he's got, I mean, they hoard players. When you're talking about a team that understands how to build depth, there are multiple tight ends, like Isaiah Likely, who's producing while Andrews is out, and they've got guys at other positions that they've just stacked talent. Uh, hint, hint, Chargers. Uh, you know, would have been nice if you took a cue from Baltimore, but that's the old regime. I'm sure the new will do better. But Munkin has, again, found success here. Uh, and he has experience in working in multiple offensive systems. So we're talking power running game, pass heavy, even no huddle with tempo. And he's a real proponent of flexible offensive systems. So he will fit his system to the players on his team and whatever is working, he's going to stick with it. But he's malleable, like he's not going to be super rigid and have an idea set in one particular scheme that should work one way and try to do the square peg. I mean, uh, yeah, square peg round hole thing. That's not who Munkin is. And it's something that I've always appreciated about him throughout the years. And he's been able to successfully use all these different schemes at different times. So he's a difficult offensive coordinator to account for because he's able to switch things up at the drop of a hat and he will make those adjustments as necessary um as far as how he's viewed i've seen him described as like very detail oriented um super assertive uh and a good leader with a presence so you take those into account and also the fact that he's also known to be a great communicator and ready for this teacher which was something that plagued the Chargers last year because as great as Brandon Staley was in front of a microphone speaking to the media and the rest of us apparently his messages would not come across clearly enough to the players or his messaging wasn't effective enough to have it translate to the product that you got on the field so who uh munkin seems to have that feather in his cap so good for him and again as far as on the offensive side of the ball historically uh his offenses light up the scoreboard they put up points so you don't have to worry about you know being super stagnant whether it be in the run or passing game he'll mix and do a really good blend of that and you're going to score so kudos uh for all the work he's put in there on the offensive side of the ball and the success that he's had now the flip side to that of course as i mentioned before he's only been a head coach once and that was at the college level and not for um you know a, a top level top flight defensive unit i'm sorry defensive unit uh college team so that could be one knock on him 
but again, with all that experience, I would feel pretty comfortable with him coming into the door with the know-how of how to run a team because of all of the organizations and programs that he's been a part of. Something just seems to be missing as to why he doesn't get mentioned as much when these coaching cycles pop up. Like you started hearing his name last year a bit, and you know he's been in this season cycle. But to be honest with you, I don't know. Something has to be missing, and they're not seeing some sort of leadership quality, uh, and it's kind of keeping them out of the head coaching ranks in the league. But we're also questioning what his relationships have been throughout the years, and has he cultivated enough of them to where he could put together a top-notch staff? You would think in almost 35 years of coaching that he would be able to have his pick of uh maybe high quality talent to come in and help assist him um, as the head guy for our new team. But who knows at this point, as far as Monken goes, I wouldn't hate having him be the next head coach. I would much rather him as my offensive coordinator. But if you're telling me you had to take a guy and you want someone with experience that even though he hasn't been, um, you know, an HC at this level, you want to take a shot at this would be the one. Um, I'd have confidence in him to be able to properly build an offense around Justin Herbert. And again, being that he's an offensive guy, it's not something that you would have to worry about with regard to new OCs coming and going because he would be the basis of the offense. It would be his scheme and whoever comes in will be under his tutelage, learning it and helping to run it. And that goes for anyone who comes down the pipe. So I'd be cool with Munkin, I guess, kind of sort of in a pinch. Um, when we're talking about first year guys, but this again is a qualifier. He's a bit different than other first year guys as he's been around for so long and has had so much experience. So I'd be all right with it. It feels as wild to me to say this as it does for you to hear it probably. But at the number three slot is another first year head coaching candidate. It's just the way it kind of worked out. Now, again, this is a bit of a different prospect as number three, Ben Johnson, has at least two years of time on task and evidence that he is at the very least a top level, top of the line, top flight, if you will, offensive offensive mind, sorry, in the NFL. I call him Mr. Maniacal because that's what he is as a play caller. A few of the things that really kind of put him over the top for me with regard to the first year guys has to be the way that he puts defensive coordinators in complete conflict. Just utter dismay. Defenses are at a loss, especially in gotta have it moments where um, a first down is necessary or in the red zone. Dude just comes up with some fantastic calls, specifically. Um. Over the course of the year, there's been a couple times where I've seen him just kind of dig into his bag. Uh, He'll establish a few tendencies, which he did throughout the year. You will see this in the Chargers game if you want to relive that nightmare, where he's taken some plays out of certain sets and actions, and he's run maybe two to three concepts out of them, right? He'll do that for multiple games as long as it's working, and it typically does. But then again, in those gotta have it moments, he will show you those same sets, same actions and run a completely different play out of it that you have not seen to that point of the season. It's brilliant. Uh, 
But what makes it all go is the running game. Again, there's a theme amongst all of these guys that they put an emphasis on running game. Some of them lean more on the pass and you know try to find more of a balance, but this is definitely a run first philosophy. We're talking about a guy that runs a little bit of everything. Power zone, you name it. He bakes it into the offensive scheme and it's I hate saying this because it feels disrespectful to Jared Goff, but it's made Goff appear to be, if not a high-level quarterback, maybe like in a tier two-ish, tier three level from a production standpoint because he just makes throws really easy for Goff. You see him throwing a wide-open catch every game and in crucial moments. Amon Ross St. Brown is a fantastic player, but how many times do you see him coming streaking open on crossers uh you know they've got speed you've got sam laporte out there tight end that is an added benefit somebody that they were able to add to the roster because they did such a good job at construction of the offensive line and other pieces that they were also able to take a jameer gibbs in the first round so it just benefits the offense all the more and jerry golf I love the fact that he runs a lot of scissors and sell play action calls in a passing game. And again, it works beautifully because of the running game. You see a bunch of 11 personnel, 21. Um, sometimes he'll come out in 12. And I think I mentioned this on a previous show. He'll come out in 12. So one right on running back, two tight ends. He'll motion a running back out wide and he'll create an empty look. And he does this a lot to get. Uh, free access to the middle of the field for maybe a slot player, maybe that being a running back or a wide receiver. And it creates a matchup literally in the middle of the field that Jared Goff can throw to all the time due to the mismatch being against a linebacker. And uh, the defense get caught, gets caught in base. So when they come out in that 12 look, defense reads it, lines up in base, and they're again already in conflict because he can just motion a Jameer Gibbs out into the slot, and now he's one-on-one -on -one with one of your linebackers. And nine times out of ten, your linebacker cannot defend Jameer Gibbs. So just when I talk about beautiful play calling, even in the red zone, specifically inside the five-yard line, um, he'll come out in a traditional pro form split back look. So two running backs, uh, traditionally it's a fullback lined up, to the strong side of the formation and the tailback opposite him and the quarterback under center. And out of that, um, you can do a bunch. You want to run power out of it, you can. You can run toss out of that. You can run counter out of that. And he does it all. And he's also got a little, he gets a little spicy with it. He'll fake the toss and then maybe run an angle to the tight end or fake the toss and run a slant to one of the wide receivers. It creates so many things for a defense to have to account for in the red zone. It becomes a very, very difficult task. So I'm sitting here waxing poetic about how this guy calls offense, but I can't help it because he's really, really brilliant at it. Um, he had the Lions fifth in points in his first year at OC in 2022. And this year he's got them in third. Uh, mentioned this before also. Heard him talk. He comes across as someone that has a very real presence to him, and apparently he's liked by the players, more so respected. Um, and that's what happens when you are in a position of leadership and you produce and guys win, then, yeah, they hold you in a certain regard. It's much, much more difficult to, you know, bark at guys and maybe have a tougher demeanor if you're not getting W's at the end of the day. So with that being said, it may help him transition into a head coaching gig. And 
have him, you know, walk into a room and be respected right away because guys across the league talk. They work out with each other. Some of them are friends, hang out in the offseason and word gets around about what kind of coach you are. As far as the cons go, well, again, first year guy. So we're going to talk about him having to come in and establish that culture and identity. But then he'll also have to, I mean, yeah, earn the respect of his players above all that. You're going to have to successfully successfully navigate everything else that's going on with this roster. Uh, there's going to be some turnover. And the question is, can you weather that storm and still keep the team competitive next year? Or will it have to be a gap year? It's a hard question to answer for a first year guy. So, again, great offensive mind. Can he be more of a CEO? Don't know. And with that being said, Next question is, who comes with them? What sort of staff does he bring along? I mean, after a few years in the NFL, you know, you make these relationships. You meet some guys, you work with them, find some other guys that are fond of what you do and you share kind of the same philosophies and maybe you can bring them along. But as far as building out that staff, I'm not sure what type of Rolodex he has. And that's always going to be a question that you ask of all of these first year guys. I mean, Todd Munkin could be an exception because he's been around so long, but still, it's a little up in the air. I mean, at the end of the day, I guess uh, the only other thing that I can maybe nitpick is I noticed that defenses were able to kind of, and this could be more of a function of Jared Goff and his shortcomings. Again, sounds like I'm dumping on them again. But if teams were able to kind of take away the middle of the field, the offense would sputter at times. But again, he found ways to work around it and still win games in spite of. So not really, really worried about that. But again, it's just that he's a first-year guy. He's going to have to overcome a lot. I mean, this isn't one of those teams where, say, like uh, Washington Commanders, where I think he probably ends up ultimately where you're walking in with just a clean canvas canvas. You have some talent, but the expectations aren't going to be all that uh, immense year one. They're going to give time to grow. But in today's NFL, I mean, if you're not producing after about year two, then the question marks start coming. So he has more of a leash in Washington than he would in LA. It's just kind of the nature of the game. You've got, some veteran players that are going to want to have to find success or and you're going to have to find that balance and getting draft picks that can come in and contribute and then also satisfying those vets and the type of, you know, whether it's offensively touches or defensively, the scheme that allows them to perform the best. You're going to have to navigate all of that. And can he do it? I mean, we won't know unless we see it. But by the same token, as you could tell, I definitely like Ben Johnson. I still want an experienced head coach, though, and a winner. And uh, that leads me into the final two. And you'll see why they fall where they do. But much respect to Ben Johnson, and you have a fan in me. Sweet. Now we're done with the first year, guys. Let's move on to things that make me feel warm and bubbly inside. Some experienced head coaches. The guy that falls into the number two slot, none of you guys will be surprised by this. Uh, Mike Vrabel 
former Tennessee Titans head coach who just recently interviewed with our LA Chargers. And Mike's just a, he's a guy's guy. Talking about a former player with the championship pedigree, he understands what that means, has performed at a high level, whether it was in college or as a member of the New England Patriots. So he's got the background for it. Guy walks through the door with instant credibility. So you can go ahead and check that off of the list. Um, we're talking about someone who has no fear when it comes to aggression um, as a head coach. I love everything that he brings to the table in that way because that mindset permeates throughout his team. The Titans are always a tough out and he makes them that way regardless as to what that roster looks like. You've seen his team have to perform after having their primary offensive weapon in the passing game taken away from them. Um, an aging Derrick Henry with uh, not a whole lot of tread left on his tires and uh, uh, nobody's nobodies of quarterbacks. I mean, the best of which having been Ryan Tannehill. And that says enough to me. When you look at the Tennessee Titans rosters that he's had to, I would say, overcome in many instances, it says a lot about Vrabel as a leader. Literally somebody who can take whatever he's given and make something out of it. And not many coaches in the league are able to do that. Like when you're talking about having a real CEO type of head coach, he fits that bill because the tough mindset resonates throughout every phase of the game on his squad. Um, he has a 54 and 45 record as a head coach in six years. And again, look at what they've given him at the quarterback position. He's never had an elite guy under center. Can you imagine what the guy who essentially makes lemonade out of lemons that way could do with the Justin Herbert? And outside of just being someone with a tough mindset, he has the mind for the game as well. Really good at game management. And uh, that's been a nightmare for us as Chargers fans because we've been through some really, really, really poor game managers. Anthony Lynn comes to mind immediately. Let's get back to the topic at hand, though. Vrabel does not have that issue. With all of that great stuff about Mike, the flip side to it is, is that he's a defensive guy. And because of that, my primary fear is, is that he brings in, let's say, a very good offensive coordinator. Let's say Arthur Smith, who's now out there playing tiddlywinks or something like that. Who knows? Let's say he brings Arthur Smith in. Smith comes in and does a tremendous job with the offense. And then at some point gets another opportunity to be a head coach somewhere. I'm not sure why that would happen because, man, he was bad with the Falcons. But never say never. You find yourself in this endless cycle of having to replace offensive coordinators. And that's no good for Justin Herbert, who's, I would say his development has been slightly arrested by the fact that ever since college, all he knows is turnover at either the head coaching or offensive coordinator position. So at some point, getting this guy's stability has to be top of mind. It has to be priority 1A. And... I don't think it's just a Vrabel issue. It's, it's a league-wide thing. If you've got an offensive-minded guy, which is all the rage in the NFL right now, and he has success, you're probably going to get poached at some point. So 
it's not necessarily a knock on him per se. It's not anything he's done wrong as a coach. It's just the situation that he finds himself in as a defensive-minded guy, not someone who really runs an offense and is able to put together an offensive game plan and establish one that would fit a one Justin Herbert. So it feels like I'm knocking him for something that isn't his fault. But unfortunately, like I said, it's the position he's in because of where he stands uh, in his philosophy. So I'd still be OK with it because the guy's been productive in his six years and he's done it with, you could argue, very little. So, yeah, it would be a risk because you're more than likely going to have to deal with the turnover at offensive coordinator. But I would trust able to keep the team competitive no matter what he's got a track record of doing it so he'd be a nice fallback if number one falls through literally no suspense associated with this so i won't belabor it number one on the list jim harbaugh because who the hell else why you may ask well it's a silly question but i'll humor you Jim Harbaugh is literally everything the Los Angeles Chargers are not. Tough-minded, consistent, uh, disciplined, and above all else, a winner. He's another one of these guys that is a climate changer from the day they walk into the building. Most of you out there are familiar uh, with Jim's background, but in the event you aren't, quick history lesson. In the college ranks, he has a 140 and 52 win-loss record. We're talking about taking programs like San Diego, Stanford, and flipping them around to winners in very short order. He goes to the NFL in 2011 as the head coach of the 49ers from 2011 to 2014. And in his first year, he takes them from a 6-10 and 10 team to a 13-3 uh, team and wins head coach of the year honors, like right out of the gate. So he finishes his tenure there with a 44-19-1 record, goes back to Michigan in 2015, and you got bowl appearances in every year of his nine with the exception of one, which was in 20, the COVID year. And uh, this past year makes the third playoff appearance for the team in the 10 years that the college football playoffs has existed. So I'd say he's, you know, rather efficient. When you're talking about, oh, I'm sorry, by the way, the Natty that they won this year, they're first in nearly 30 years. So the man is going to be a god, lowercase g, uh, in Ann Arbor forever. What are my favorite things about Jim Harbaugh? Oh, there's a multitude, a few things we'll speak to here, though. He's going to build up your trenches on both sides of the ball. Jim plays no games when it comes to your offensive and defensive line. You're going to have hounds and there will be an effective downhill power running game. And as I mentioned before, that type of offense travels and it's built to perform in any weather. It's a perfect compliment to Herbert. It takes a whole lot of stress off of that kid. Also, your team is going to be fundamentally sound. And as I mentioned before, discipline because they're going to follow their coach's lead Uh it's part of the reason why he's so successful or he's been so successful with Michigan, especially this last year, because Michigan is Michigan isn't always the most talented team. Like they've gotten better recruits over the years, but you line them up with Ohio State's 
in some of the other teams where we're talking about like four and five star recruits and they don't really stand up. The difference is, is that when your team is disciplined, it's like the great equalizer. You can have high level talent, but dudes are shooting themselves in the foot. Then nine times out of 10, the ones who are making the fewer mistakes are going to find a way to win the games. And that's what Jim brings to the table. So he makes high level talent perform at its highest level. And then he also takes you know, mid-tier talent and helps to elevate it because he increases their level of discipline so that they're always doing and being where they're supposed to be. Again, the great equalizer. <sighs> Talking about a man who eats, sleeps, and breathes football. There are all these jokes about him, how like he really doesn't have very many friends because really all he cares about is ball. But that's what I want at this point. We want somebody who can walk into that building day one and just lay down the groundwork for success. And Jim's 60 years old. Let's say he has about a decade that he wants to put into this. And I know that's one of the cons. We'll get to that in a second. He's not going to want to joke around. You've got a high-level quarterback that you're walking into that can help take you to the next level rather quickly. It's literally like one of the pillars that you need to have for a great team. It's already there for the taking. We all know he loves Justin Herbert. He's not made that a secret. We've heard those stories. And, you know, I'm going to make a quick Louisiana kid comparison for you. I love gumbo. But in order to have a great pot of gumbo, you have to start with your root. It's your base, your foundation. If that's screwed up, the whole pot's going to be trash. You're just going to end up throwing that out. Justin Herbert would be Jim Harbaugh's root. And being that Jim is a builder, he'd come in, take that solid foundation, and stack on top of it. Look at what he's done with other programs, other organizations. This is his thing. So we're talking about a situation where a guy can walk in and there's no need for a quote-unquote gap year, as you may think would have to happen with maybe another coaching candidate. Because Jim understands what it means to turn a roster around. Again, in short order. Some of those names won't be around and it'll be just fine. Jim's going to find a way to plug guys into holes and have them produce. And then there's also the fact that he just came from the college ranks or will be coming from the college ranks. He has familiarity with the next few draft classes. He knows how guys perform. He scouted some of them personally, recruited many of them. Some of them will have been on the team that he coached. He knows what their capabilities are and the fact that they'll fit right into his scheme. I just don't get what there is not to like about him. And some people still have their issues with them, which I guess is where we'll get into the flip side of this and the cons. He isn't everybody's cup of tea. I mean, he can be a bit awkward and he has a tendency to wear out his welcome, although he was literally just at Michigan for nearly a decade. So, you know, do with that what you will. And he's been said to be difficult to work with. But I believe much of that comes from management, upper management, not necessarily the players. Players seem to love Jim. So you're not going to find a whole bunch of negatives on this side. And it's not just because I'm biased towards him. I just don't see the problem. When you have someone that performs at a high level, a winner, there are going to be some things you got to put up with. There are going to be some quirks. People call him quirky. 
if that's how you want to label it fine all i know is dude gets it done wherever he goes so that is my top five list uh like as i said before some of you guys may or may not agree with it and it's all good that's just mine from my point of view but i appreciate your opinions anyway because we are all welcome to our own but uh that's it folks see you guys later on until the next time uh it's been your boy y'all take it easy enjoy these games this weekend and uh hopefully soon over the course of the next handful of days or so we get a nice little announcement about the Chargers' new head coach and you know who i'm rooting for it's probably the same guy you are catch y'all later gone